Jeff, I feel like this episode, it may not be GEHB. It's going to be more like BMZ. I don't know what the T and TMZ sounds like, but T rhymes with B. And this is this is the Brigham MZ episode. What does TMZ stand for? I don't know. I just, what does TMZ stand for? It stands for 30 mile zone. 30 miles in reference to the historic studio zone with a 30 mile radius in los angeles that's a stupid name so i guess the it was because tmz was just like all the gossip about hollywood and right and so i guess there's a 30 mile radius where all the studios are that's a stupid name so this is the brigham this is or the dmz this is the dax milne zone whoa we're already throwing out names um first and foremost if our sound is off my trusty headphones that we bought from amazon all those years ago have officially died i have i have moved on to my more expensive pair that i think are actually better microphones but they're not the same microphones that you have and therefore i think we sound different if i'm remembering correctly from We, we do sound different so i apologize to all of you if i'm remembering um i am quieter than you in these headphones so i'm trying to yell a little bit i think so and i think i can even turn my volume down a little bit but uh again folks i know that it feels like we are just begging you know all the time but you get what you pay for here and if you don't want a low budget show then you can't be a low budget listener right you gotta be a high budget listener we've we did look at this okay and there are like Sure. I mean, I guess we could invest in like an actual microphone, but then it's like where, like you work in your attic, it's like a loft space, right? Like I work in a room that has, my office is tile floor with not a lot of furniture in it. Like, so it's pretty echoey Mm -hmm. and it's not like we have home studios to work with. So it's kind of this like yeah, we could buy a bunch of more stuff and maybe try to make money, but that would require a lot of effort. And then we would have to like be sitting in our little home studio, whereas we're both sitting in a in bed right now. I'm so, in bed. Yeah, 100% uh, in bed. And so we we just go with the headset that gets the mic close to our mouth. Uh, if it's not perfect, then sorry, we don't have an audio engineer on this production. We record a Zoom call and upload the MP3. It, if it. anybody would like to... Now, here's the thing. I don't much care what microphones we use, what headphone set we use, but it's got to be the same. That we know, so that at a bare minimum, we are consistent. And right now, that isn't the case. Uh, If anybody would like to sponsor two matching headphones, I will happily provide y'all my address. We we could even, I mean, I will buy the headphones too. If you have like, if there's a recommendation of something, because... We got a lot of run out of, I think these headsets them are matching ones. They were like 20 bucks. So they weren't, Oh like, yeah, they were pretty cheap and it sounded it surprisingly, it actually sounded pretty dang good. All things considered. Well, and I know that you would, you could buy them. I could buy them. We're not rich. We're pre-rich, but we're, we're pre-rich enough that we could afford headphones, but low budget listeners get a low budget show. If somebody wants to be a high budget listener, I'm ready to accept that as charity. We're looking at you, Brian Smith. If yeah. this if this comes across your airwaves. So this is funny. Um, it was two or three months ago. I was at the 
Silicon Slopes Awards Banquet that night. Somebody at my company was nominated for some award, and I was part of the group that got to go do this. And it was, award shows are dumb. Award shows that aren't on TV are dumber. But there was a bunch of people there. And it was very Silicon Slopesy. There were lots of it was it was uh, it was best dress and sneakers. So there was lots of personality going right. Lots of lot not a real dress code. Lots of uh, variety. Lots of uh, flat brimmed hats. Lots of Jordan ones. Lots of turtlenecks and gold chains. Very very salesmany. Very very oh, vivid. Of course, right. But while there, I was sitting at a table that was, I don't even know how to describe it. It was on like by an aisle, I guess. And in walked Ryan Smith. And I was so close, Garrett. I didn't do it. I chickened out. This would have been guerrilla marketing at its finest. But I was so close to calling him over to our table and just being like, hey, Ryan, how you doing? Like pretending like I knew him, shaking his hand. And then just explaining to everybody who was at my table with me that, oh, he's a listener, but I didn't do it. I chickened out. Dude, the, uh, I, why did you chicken out? The- well, I, I just got a little bit scared. So, Ryan, if you do listen, and we know you do, if you could do me a solid, reach out to me. I'm not a hard person to find on the Internet. Reach out to me so that I can impress my coworkers. That's all that it is. So when you hear this, I don't know if you listen every day. I don't think you have us, you know, like notifications when we publish an episode, but I know you listen. So when you do invariably hear this episode, hey, just reach out to me. Rakutu10 on Twitter. You know, if that's that that's the easiest way to follow or find me. But I'm everywhere, you know, like I'm not hard to find. I just want to impress my coworkers. That's all. Okay. Um we do, do, do okay yeah it's it's impressed them and how many followers are you even at now you are blue checked i applied and they rejected me sadly you you're just much more famous um, than me. i don't know how many followers i have to be honest with you probably at a lot but i haven't uh, looked now that you mentioned it i'm gonna look i haven't looked in many many moons last i checked i was at like 7200 followers uh 89 8900 followers so I mean, you'll get to probably maybe get to 10 this season. I hope um, so. so let's take a, let's jump back into BMZ or DMZ. So if a few months ago, I mean, that was actually like in January, that was six months ago. Now it, we, uh, we broke the news that, and it was all over like the New York post bar stool, everything that Zabby was dead. And this was a scoop that your wife yeah. found Jessica. She just connoted that things had been scrubbed from social media, right. that things, you know, that it appeared that Zabby, you know, Zach Wilson and Abby Jow, who had been together since like their sophomore year of high school, they had split and Zabby yeah. was no more. Now, before you get into this, I do want to say Jessica actually approached me this morning before we received any confirmation uh, from our unnamed source and said, hey, Abby's got a new dude. And she told me she knew. She, she was on top of this. She didn't know the details that we're going to go into, but she also was on top of this. So 
our resident BMZ expert continues to pull in the T from the BYU world. So kudos to my wife for being on top of that. Yes. And so the, the new T is that Abby is dating one Dax Milne, Zach's former roommate, that picture during the 2020 season of them playing on the Jordan high school peewee team when they were like nine years old, they've been friends practically their whole lives. Yeah. He Dax look, did him dirty. Look, Wilson to Milne for just one more touchdown. Zach's, or excuse me, Dax scored as a result of, of Zach's work one more time. He's been doing it for his entire career. He's been on the receiving end of the hard work and the beautiful, beautiful balls that, that Zach put together. Dax has been on the receiving end of scoring touchdowns. And here we are again. One more time, Zach does all the work. And when I say that, there are multiple layers of that meaning, people. Use your imagination. Zach makes sure the work gets done. Maybe that's the better way to, the, the better syntax here. Folks, I hope you know what I'm talking about. Utah County, work. Come on. Let's all, let's all get this down. Zach does the work. Zach pays for the work. Zach gets the work done. And yet here we are. Dax is reeling in yet another score. And this one's personal, folks. This one is personal. This is so personal. Are you ready? This is how personal this one has become. Now, we have to turn to the ever-reliable social media to figure this out. The most of reliables. So first off, Zach's, nope, Dax's sister-in-law. She has confirmed this. This is why we feel good talking about it. Uh, Garrett, I think I approached you, or you approached one of us. One of us approached the other a few months ago when we got this buzz that Dax might have swooped in on Abby, but then Dax and Abby, or Dax and Zach went to a BYU basketball game. We have figured it was false. We couldn't confirm it. But today we learned, I think the video was posted a little while ago, uh, Dax's sister-in-law posted a video of her and Abby dancing or something saying i love it when besties date brothers apparently these two are friends and now they're dating milnes right yep and then everything has started to come into play so we turned to social media dax follows abby on social media do you know who he does not follow zachary wilson does not follow zach f wilson abby follows dax on Instagram. Do you know who Abby does not follow? Mm, it might rhyme with Whack Zilson. It rhymes with Whack Zilson and his entire family. Zach and his kin, do you know who they don't follow on Instagram? Uh, I'm going to go with the couple name of Daxby. Daxby. None of them. None so, of Zach and kin follow either Dax or Abby. So here's what I want to know. So Wait, it's been about... I, I'm getting, I'm sorry. I'm getting real time updates from our producer in my ear. Again, we mentioned I'm in bed. Right? Is, is this an envelope from, I'm imagining like an envelope on Maury or yes. Jerry Springer here. Yes. <laughs> Zach is not the father. No, that's, that's not the level of detail that she's got. Um, 
Okay. Zach, well, here, here's, here's the interesting part. Dax and Abby cannot publicly acknowledge each other. This is what's being, this is what's so crazy. So evidently, according to the tea leaves, this relationship has been going for a little while. Like potentially like, like golden Tate back little... to BYU. So this is a Golden Tate Russell Wilson scenario. It might be. We don't know. It would be irresponsible to speculate, but that's what we're doing. But Abby wishes Zach or it's Dax's birthday today. Abby cannot publicly wish Dax a happy birthday. Because then everybody who knows both Zach and Dax has to pick sides. This is what I have found interesting. Dax has started to repost, reshare all of the birthday wishes from his friends and family, from one Gunnar Romney, from Neil Pau, from Kyle Griffiths, from a bunch of former teammates that presumably are also friends with Zach Wilson. And they all still follow Zach and they follow Dax, which leads us to the question Do people in their lives? even know that this is happening does gunner romney know about daxby zabby and all of that put together like they would have to i would think so too but how do you be how do you maintain a friendship with both of them i mean you really can't that's why if it's it's like dude dax if there's plenty plenty of other people like why many many yeah you don't need I to mean, go think destroy about what this is garrett this is if you and my wife were having an affair all while we were producing this show together that's the level of craziness that this is dax was riding the zach wilson train to the nfl all while dating his girlfriend that's bananas it I can't even wrap my head around it because it just does not, does not compute, does not make sense of why no. he would do that. It and and from sense. her perspective, right? Like she spent a whole season being an NFL girlfriend with Zach. Like well, she, and that's, he was in New York. Like if you're going to chase a Jersey, go chase a Jersey. Well, and not, this is like this is Zach what's... Wilson's probably, or Dax Mill's probably going to get cut this year. Right. right, like you walked away from thirty-five million to go get a hundred grand, and but he's going to be wait. a striker sales rep in two months. Did she? Did she walk away, or is this so deeply rooted that it started at BYU? Jeff really, Jeff had to sit up, like he repositioned for this because I, I am I'm ready. Did she know? Hey, I'm going to hitch my wagon to one of these two. So she was public with Zach. Had Dax on the side. Then they both went to the NFL. She was going to New York. She was living that life. And then Zach found out. And he cut ties. Now, we are speculating. And I don't want to. But here's what I can say. Here's what I can say with, with a pretty high level of confidence. Zach Wilson, I think that when they broke up, the assumption was Zach Wilson is now living in New York. He's got a ton of money. He's a gorgeous young man, and he can attract any gorgeous young woman that he wants. 
Zach was the one who big timed Abby and moved on to quote bigger and better things. Right. But I think now we can confidently say this was not Zach's fault. Our man, our beloved Zach Wilson. I think he's the victim in all of this. I think he might be. So if anybody on the, you know, a Gile or Ken, a Milne or family that want to come and talk about this, then this is the platform to do so. Zach, if you, your family, we know you listen because your lawyers apparently listen to the show. If your attorneys would like to come and use this as a platform to defend your honor, we're ready to defend because I don't think any of this was your fault, Zach. And we want to give you the platform to shine. We want to be the Virginia courtroom and allow you to be Johnny Depp, to tell your side of the story and let the internet decide who's right. That didn't get to happen until Johnny went to court. Zach, it may not happen for you until you come on Give Him Hell Brick. And it's, I wonder, I never, I, don't know, I hadn't thought of the, they can't go public because it will, you know, put everyone in a horrible spot. Oh yeah. Sure, sure. And you realize, cause I mean, it's cause they were dating when they were in high school before he even got to BYU. So it's like his circle of everyone at BYU, like he was at BYU for three years. She was wrapped up with those same people for three years. Like it's and not, so it's, it's not like, you know, they started dating in September of the 2020 season and it was a couple months and she doesn't like know everyone that well, whatever, blah, blah. blah. It's like, she set foot in Provo the same time Gunnar Romney did. Right. And like, it was, well, I don't know how old she is, but like, yeah, she yeah, was around. Like, because right? she was around from day one that Zach was around. And so there's, yeah. And, and obviously it's it was crazy. A, and obviously like he had the whole took two cheerleaders to prom thing whatever and she wasn't there it's like they did have like a they were kind of on again off again but she was consistently there going back I, to like i don't even know about school. their on again off again thing or if it was just zach was still a high school kid who had graduated early so the cheerleaders took him to prom i i, I have no idea what happened i have no idea i'm not going to pretend i have not cared about zach and his relationship i have not cared about abby gile one bit until they broke up and things started to get a little bit crazy now it's all I care about. This is the only thing I care about. And this is going to carry us through the rest of the offseason is figuring out what the hell is going on in the world of Zach and Dax and Abby and Zabby and Daxby and Zach's Dak. I don't know. I don't know how to make them a celebrity. Daiquiri. Name. But all of this, we need to find out. Daiquiri. Daiquiri works. We need to find out. So the other thing we know, we don't know. The other scuttlebutt, again, we don't want to speculate, but that's what we're doing, is we have heard from unconfirmed sources that there has been a confrontation between the two former teammates and uh, grievances were aired. Uh, all yes. Know. All we know at this point. Grievances were aired, and that was the last time, supposedly, that they spoke supposedly we've been big Dax Milne guys here. You know, I am a Dax Milne, the football player. I was on the Dax Milne hype train long before anybody else outside and maybe even including his family. I was on the Dax Milne hype train before anybody else. The receipts are out there. Go find out. But knowing this, I don't know. 
I don't know. I might have to change my youngest son's name. You know, what kind of bro does this? This takes, you know, brothers before mothers, bros before hoes, you know, all those stupid sayings. Throws those all right out the window. No, that's, yeah, you can't, you can't do that, man. Yeah, this is totally, Dax found a bro to enable the hoe. And, uh, whoo, it's spicy. I mean, how would you, how do you think, because, you know, when you're saying all those people like, Neil Gunner, you know, all these other Kalani, guy, you know, posting, yeah, Aaron well, Roderick. Okay, so if you're saying how, how would it split though? Do you oh, think, I don't know, like, I do you think, think, do you think most of the wide receiver room would be Team Dax is like they're, you know, like they're the most close, or do you no. think, no, I don't think so. And here's why I don't think so today because. Gunner and Neil still have like Neil is trying to stick with the bills still has hopes of a pro career. Gunner's hoping to get drafted. You want Zach Wilson in your corner. If you're a receiver trying to stick in the league, Dax Milne does nothing for you. Yeah, I think, well, it also push coach up too. It depends of when it started. Like if it's been going for two weeks and you know, whatever, then people might just be like, uh, oh, you need to give it. But if it's like this started a year and a half ago and it's yeah. been behind the scenes and, you know, cheating with your best friend and his girlfriend, like whatever for multiple years, it's like, everyone's going to hate, like, it's like Dax and Daxby is just, everyone's going to cut them out and be team can, Zach. Can we just combine all of them? Is this now officially our Zaxby? Zaxby. <laughs> this is I, I think it is. I think this is our Zaxby, and this story is irresistibly good. Is that what their like motto is? Yeah, that was really well done by me. That was really well done. Zaxby is irresistibly good. Um, but in other actual real life news, the final yesterday, the four yesterday, was the final media day of the independence era which is issue so i remember when so i was on my mission 2010 2011 like i was like two weeks into the mtc when they announced that we were joining the wcc going independent whatever and then i remember coming back i got home 2012 it was after me it was like right after media but i remember like 2013 was like like people like watching media day was a big deal and right and they had like mm-hmm. interviews lined up and they had stuff in english and spanish trying to you know get all the dudes who went on missions and and it was like media day was always trying to like oh we announced this schedule we announced that like there's this change or you know it was like people it's weird because I feel like there were like two media days where they tried to time some schedule announcement with it and kind of hype that up. And now people have had that in their mind, which that big things get announced on media day for like the last eight years and nothing has happened. And then they're like mad that nothing big gets announced. It's like, Oh, it's always a letdown that it gets so hyped. But it's like, nobody hyped it, but you. Yeah. No, no, it's exactly it's, right. I mean, it's not media day is not for the fans. Like it is no. 100% for the media. That's why yeah. it is called media day. And it is to like all those blurbs about like, oh, like what's something you did when you were a little kid for fun? Or like, you know, the story about like Zach Wilson driving to California every weekend to train with John Beck. Like those are the kind of stories that like right. media day is geared towards getting extended, like casual conversations to 
create sound bites for the media to reuse throughout the entire upcoming season. Like that is what media I, I am excited for media day to be media day again. Right. And if you think about what media day is in a conference, uh, take Utah, they're going to go to PAC 12 media day here in a few weeks. Kyle Whittingham will go some the, years. The coordinators go, usually they don't. There's like, you'll take your captains. And yeah. That's it. And, and if that, you don't even take all the captains, the PAC 12 typically has one offensive representative, and one defensive representative. That's it. And most of Pac-12 media days, like the local media is interviewing those three people, but like they spend more time interviewing Washington State's head coach than they do the you know backup left guard. But a BYU media day is like this frenzy about BYU. So you've got half the roster there taking questions from the media. It, it's kind of a nightmare. And I think we talked about it. I can't remember if it was last year or two years ago, but like, Media training and being a media savvy player is hard. Yeah. And I think it was a couple of years ago that it was just like this constant barrage of questions about Utah and their responses. These, these players responses, they were, I think they were answering truthfully, but it just was like, my gosh, here's a bullet point checklist of locker room material for the university of Utah, because the BYU media could not refrain from asking questions about Utah. Yeah. And a lot of it too, and kind of what you said about like going back to the PAC 12 is, you know, normally at the media day, right? Like the beat writers from every, you know, like the beat writer for the Pullman star telegram or whatever it is, you know, in Washington, the Wazoo beat writer for like the Seattle times and all those things, they're all going to go. And it really is their time, especially to get in front of players that, like for their conference schedule that season, right? Because yeah. it's when is, you know, like, I think I remember seeing a picture that like Britton Covey went to the Pac-12 Media Day last year, right? It's like, when is the beat writer who covers UCLA ever going to get a chance to sit down one-on-one -on -one and talk to a Utah player or an ASU player or U of A player or Colorado player to get a couple sound bites preparing for their articles that they will inevitably have to write three months from now when that matchup happens, and that is the only chance to, right? And so it's, it is more so of, I mean, that's why it is for media day and really BYU is the only school that has media day the way that it is. I think to some extent they should probably like, they should keep it, like maybe call it something else, but I don't think it's a terrible, it should be scaled down. And I do think having like a big day of interviews, kind of like a, a fan like hype fest, whatever, just cause it's like, it's the middle of June. Like the season it's been so long, six months since the bowl game. We still have another two months till the season starts, right? Like there's something we said for like, Oh, create some conversations, whatever with that. And like do some type of like a, like a fan, like a web fan experience day type of thing. Like, I think there's something to fill that niche, but it doesn't need to be I, like the six hour with a two hour long state of the program. Tom Homo giving a lecture, like he's presenting a board meeting. Like, no, we don't need all that. I think it should be, I have the solution. I think it should be BYU fan day. And it is two hours, three hours, kind of like their fan fests, but a little bit more structured. It's at Lavelle Edwards stadium. And it is just a hype day of if Tom wants to do a state of the program, great. It's not televised. It's for the fans who go. Maybe that's the Cougar Club. Maybe that's you sell tickets or admission to this. 
and you just allow the fans to just talk and hang out with players. Maybe it's just a lunch. Maybe it's like an extended Cougar club luncheon that they do where they have, you know, one or two coaches that come in and answer questions. Do that with five or six players. Do that yeah. with a couple of the coaches. Well, and I would say, yeah, do it even do it with the Cougar club and you can stream it. Right. I know they're worried about like, all oh, this gets pasted around, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure. And if this platform doesn't exist, tell us because we will find developers and make this platform exist where it's like, okay, we're going to send you. And actually I know it exists because this does like, it exists for like, for subscription only podcasts where it's like, yeah, you, have a, you have a custom link that is only for you. And if you click on it and watch it, only one person can be watching at a time. So if you try to share it with your buddy and say, Hey, I got access here. Just here's the link to go log in. When they click your specific link, it's going to cut you off. So you can't do that anymore. Yeah. Right. Like it just do that. Like if somehow the U S court system could figure out how to do streaming like trials during COVID it exists folks. So we could figure yeah. this out. Yeah. Well. And so, and I definitely think, yeah, there's room for a fan day, but I think the biggest thing coming out of it, which I don't know there, I listened to, I didn't listen to the whole thing. Like, I didn't listen to any of Tom's state of the program. I don't know if you did. I didn't listen I, to I any did, of that. And it was, I mean, it's kind of like all work started last year was great. We built on, we had a great season in 2020. We built on it. We won double digit wins again. That's only happened a few times in our history. We're so we're looking forward to the big 12. We're getting ready for the big 12. We're investing to be ready for the big 12. We have a big challenge ahead of us in the big 12. Is that basically what it was? Basically. And, and and that's really like, I get why the conversation was oriented around the big 12. Like, duh, of course it was. That makes sense. I did kind of feel for Kalani because he was trying to redirect questions to like, Hey, we got a big season this year, this year, this year. Now I don't think it's going to impact players that much, especially guys like Jaron, like Jaron's never going to play in the big 12. Blake Freeland's never going to play in the big 12. And, and so a lot of the questions to the players weren't about the big 12, but man, uh, media could not help themselves. And again, I understand, but there was very little discussion at least relative to the amount of Big 12 discussion, a very little discussion about the actual upcoming season. It was a lot about how do you feel you're equipped for the Big 12 conference? Yeah. And I mean, whatever. I So I listened more to, I listened to on uh, BYUSA, like Jeremy and Spencer, they did an interview with Kalani, which was just kind of general stuff. They asked him about his baby, you know, the baby coming up, whatever how you know in Kalani was trying to ask a lot more about like we have a big season we're getting ready but still kind of the base generic coach speak and A-Rod said the same thing he brought up you know that it was really nice to be able to have a quarterback in place because you weren't having to worry about how you're going to divvy up spots and you need to get things looked what get multiple looks at certain players it's like you know Jaron is the guy you give him the bulk of the reps you don't really and then everything that you are you're not having to split time between you know Baylor Romney and Conover as well getting them reps trying to figure out who's going to do what it's like you know Jaron is the guy and then you're specifically carving out practice plans of we got to make sure Conover is ready to go if Jaron gets hurt uh big promising is it sounds like Conover he made a bunch of strides I mean really like he didn't look great when he played last year and there were lots of discussions where it seemed like his head really wasn't in it he was kind of discouraged and you know that he didn't win the starting job and then being set to number three on the depth chart he kind of fell into the well i'm i'm number three on the depth chart i'm probably not going to play and kind of just went on cruise control right um and so 
which isn't great, but also human nature. I understand it. Um, and so that was good. But the biggest thing to me in kind of before, other than the roster stuff, which is what we're going to go down through is I really enjoyed the interview with Elisa Tuyaki and we've, I think people at large would, a lot of fans would say that we are like homers or mm-hmm. are in love with him or whatever, which is not the case. Like I have long, I think we both long said so that he is the, uh, he is the Robert and I of defensive coordinators. Like he is good, but he is not great. Most of the years it's above average. He's had a couple, he's had one or two really good defenses. He's had one or two pretty bad defenses, but most of the time you're sitting around like the 30 to 40 range and it is what it is. You are going to be the teams you're supposed to be. And then you're going to struggle. You're going to quote struggle in the big games, which that's just kind of what happens when you play teams that are better than you is you struggle. And I don't think that's necessarily like, I mean, a coaching thing, like if you beat them, then you would just be better um, than them. Right. If you consistently beat the team, if you consistently beat the teams that are better than you, that you shouldn't beat, then you become the better team and everyone becomes a team that you should be like, right. It doesn't, that doesn't really compute, but he talked about how he and a rod and Ed lamb sat down with their analyst team, kind of going over and just reviewing hard numbers of like, what are things that they need to focus on? And something that he really brought up, which is interesting because a lot of fans like, and we've written about this, I've heard this before, but like how time of possession is stupid. And it's like, people get so wrapped up in it after the coastal game in 2020, that it's like time of possession is this end all be all stat. And it makes our, de- our defense is awful as a result, like whatever. And the similar one is like sacks, like we don't blitz enough. And so we don't get enough sacks, well, whatever. And then, they but then he talked about that and he talked about what they did when they were up at utah and like differences and so i don't know like you can push in this kind of getting my point like you can disagree with what they are trying to do on defense you can hate all you want like trying to do but there for some reason is this like notion in the fan base that he is just like a dumb goon who has no idea what he's doing and is like just calling a base defense every play because they like they can't like he is too stupid to understand or know how to do anything else and it, it he's like i don't know where that came from but it needs to go away i agree i agree he brought up a really good point and i i, I think i'm gonna write about this if not tomorrow then sometime next week uh but i i just kind of want to i'll let you guys i'll let you guys see the the thought process here but one thing that cult, that uh elisa mentioned was that in that 2014 season, like you mentioned, Garrett, that, that Utah was number one in the country in sacks. Uh, that year, they were, that, that same Utah team that was number one in the country in sacks was number 43 in scoring defense by, you know, by, by really all measures, one of Utah's worst defenses uh, in terms of putting, letting points get you know, put on the board, right? Utah's typically... Uh, in the top 35 and, and recently has been mostly in the top 10 or 15. Uh, so I have here, I'm looking at the, the 2021, so last year. And I, I think everybody assumes sacks, that there is a strong correlation between sacks and uh, like points allowed. And, and Elisa talked about this, that he, and he was very quick to say, and I think we have to point this out, he wants more sacks. He needs more sacks. 
but he doesn't want to do it at the expense of something else. And he right. said that while it's there every, is everything is a trade-off. Right. And he said that while there is a correlation between sacks and points allowed, it may not be as strong as people think that it is. So going through, just we'll look at a few of these. Uh, Alabama, Oklahoma State, I think we could like, you could weed out the, the best of the best teams, right? Because they were good at everything. Alabama was good at everything. Number one in sacks and number 18 scoring defense. Oklahoma State, number two in sacks, number nine scoring defense. But you get some of these teams that weren't those elite teams, right? And that's probably where BYU fits. Good, not elite, right? right. Pittsburgh was third in the country in sacks and 42nd in scoring defense. Then you go to Georgia, then you go to Baylor. Georgia was, you know, fourth in sacks. One, their, their defense was unreal. Like all of them were drafted. Baylor was number five in sacks, uh, number 10 in, in scoring defense. I think a lot of people look at Baylor and say that why can't BYU be like Baylor? Uh, Baylor has unreal athletes relative to what BYU has, period. Um, could BYU get there? Maybe, but I don't know. Michigan State, that's another one, Okay. Michigan State was sixth in the country in sacks, and they were 54th in scoring defense. Western Michigan was sixth. Now, obviously, they're playing a different level of schedule, but Western Michigan was sixth in the country in sacks, and they were all the way down 81st in the country in in scoring defense. And it's... And really what it is in the the main kind of what they are trying to do on defense is prevent big plays. Because one, if you make them drive the length of the field and try to put together a 15-play drive, they will mess up eventually. It's just going to happen. And you also can, it's if you, like giving up a big play is not it's not really the offense beating you, right? Because it's like, if your game plan sucks and you are completely outmatched and you're going to go like, a, you could go three and out every time your offense touches the ball, but a corner slips twice and leaves a guy wide open, your fastest guy who is wide open and he's got bricks for hands and he can't catch it unless there's nobody around him right? Like that could happen twice. And you really like, you have two plays, like you could go, you never run the ball for positive yardage, only complete two passes the entire game, but then end up with 150 receiving yards and two touchdowns and win a game like 14 to 10 or something like that. Right? Like it's when you give up a huge, massive long score, that isn't like the other team's offense beating you. That is you probably left something open you screwed up you took a risk and it backfired and you essentially spotted them seven points because instead of making them work for 10 plays to get down the field and without making a mistake you made the mistake left yourself exposed wide open and you threw seven up on the board in three seconds and now you have to score twice to get ahead Right. And, and so, and it becomes this thing back and forth and it's, which is really interesting. You know, when you said that like a rod and him and lamb, were all talking together about it is because what you do doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? Like mm -hmm. it's like, we remember 2013, 2014, go fast, go hard. Like the Killed defense the was exhausted. It sucked. Right. And it's, and now we talk about people talk about, and that's like, Oh, well, the defense can't get off the field because they, which is kind of like, Time of possession is also, I mean, 
is meaningless forever. It's like the defense can't get off the field, so the offense can't get in a rhythm. And it's like, well, but the offense is super efficient, and so our offense is obviously fine with it. And our offensive, like, it's not like we run a no huddle, right? right. Like, it's our offense is driving down the field, like, at a very methodical pace. Like, both sides of the ball are content with moving down the field and at a methodical pace and trying to just get, you know, be methodical. Obviously we do take a more shots on offense. And so there's a, it's a little bit faster because we're trying to do that. And we've been successful at hitting those bigger plays, but it is back and forth of like, what do you want to do and work together on all three phases of the game to get things in sync. And when you have your offense and defense, like it's, it's pick and choose, right? Like this, I, I mean, we've talked about this over and over again of like time of possession and it doesn't matter what happens. You can only at most have the ball one more time or one less time than the other team. And so, you know, if we average in our games, which I could look it up right now, actually, I know it's like the national average is like 13 and a half drives a game. I think we averaged 12 and a half or 12, um, yeah, that would maybe be 11 and a half, maybe 11 and a half drives a game. I'd have to grab the exact number here, but it's like, okay, you're talking about two drives less a game and it is impossible. It's not like it is literally impossible for our defense to be on the field so much that the other team's offense got the ball 14 times, but we only got it 10 times. And so we didn't have a chance to score. Like that's not, that is not literally, the way it works. that's literally impossible. It's not the way it works. And so it's, we're going to have the same number of chances plus or minus one to score. And so then every time you go on to that, you say like, oh, well, our offense is good. So by getting our offense on the field more, like we could create more chances for our offense to score. And it's like, okay, that's true. But the flip side of that is you are asking your defense to get another stop and prevent them from scoring. Right. And so you're really just have to choose like, okay, well, do we think our offense is that good to where we are willing to risk more things on the defense because we think we can get in a shootout or do better or, we've got a 10 point lead. Let's nurse it because we don't trust the defense as much, but we think our offense will be fine. Even with that, they don't need to be out on the field super often to stay in a rhythm. Like we can consistently have very methodical drives and chew clock. Like it is a give and take on both sides of the ball. And that so, for some reason that's lost on people. Here's what Tuiaki said, because I, I, I don't, I, I don't want to make this sound like, Hey, the defense was fine. The defense wasn't fine. The defense has to get better. Tuiaki was very upfront about that. The one thing that he mentioned is he he wanted to talk or he talked about aggression. Everybody wants the defense to be more aggressive, and everybody thinks aggressive equals sacks. Uh, BYU talked or he talked about how BYU likes to employ an aggressive coverage scheme. Well, BYU was 14th in the country in interceptions last year. I don't think that BYU's defensive scheme is inherently the problem. Now that doesn't mean that it's not the problem, but I don't think that the scheme is inherently a problem. Last year, when you look at, at where the breakdown really was, this is what Tuiaki talked about. They could not stop the run. They were 74th in the country in rush defense, which is very low by BYU standards. If you go to PFF, there's not a great way to like track missed tackles because some people define a, a missed tackle a little bit differently than others. The most effective way that we have to quantify and rank tackling performances is by PFF's aggregate tack tackle grade that is assigned to a team defense throughout the year. BYU's tackling grade was 59.1 last year. That is 97th in the country. 
down there with the likes of UTSA, UConn, Washington State. Who was number 25 and what was that? Uh, Number 25 was Arizona State, and they had a grade of 76.1. If BYU, now think about this, guys. Like, as you answer this question, you know, rhetorically in your heads, how much better is BYU's defense last year if Ben Bywater tackles with the same efficiency as Keenan Peely did? Or if the defensive line doesn't miss as many tackles as they did? Again, we don't have those numbers. Those aren't something that, that the public has access to, and everybody defines it a little bit differently. But if BYU's tackling numbers, let's say that tackling grade goes from 97th in the country at 59.1 up to 50th in the country at 70.2. Do you know who that was? Baylor. Right? I mean, when we talk about why can't BYU be Baylor, well, tackling helps. Now, that's Tuiaki's responsibility to fix. He's got to get his players tackling better. They've got to get their players a little bit bigger. They've got to be able to wrap up. They can't just be knocked over and run through. Nobody's going to be perfect at tackling. BYU has to be better. If BYU tackles better and thereby improves on uh, the in their rush defense, how much better does BYU's defense look last year? They were much better. I can 14th think of... in the country in interceptions. They were a reasonably good pass defense team. They kept teams out of the end zone. They just couldn't stop the run. In fact, they were 94th in the country, according to PFF, in, in rush defense. So if you're Kalani, or if you're Kalani, if you're Elisa Tuiaki and Kalani Sataki, and if you're looking at those stats, where do you think you need to allocate your resources this offseason? Sacks and pass rush? That's what fans would probably tell you. But I think the data would probably dictate and say, hey, your rush defense sucks. Your tackling is very subpar. You have to improve in that area. And if you do, even if you keep the same level of pass rush, right? If we assume zero improvement and all you do is improve in the rush, then your defense is going to be... It'll be a top 25 defense in almost every major category. Right. Now, they have to get better, right? Like That's, that's, the, that's the, the caveat in all of this is this is not defending Tuiaki. This is not saying that his defense is fine and he's some defensive wizard. That's not what we're saying. We're saying, like, chill. It's <laughs> like the, the people act like, oh, it's he's a junior high coach. You're like, oh, he's literally, like, there's people that are like, he's one of the worst DCs in the country. And it's like, no. I mean, we've talked about the recruiting. I think everyone who's our listener, they know how we feel about the recruiting. And we think the biggest issue is just the pure talent on the field. Right. But the... But like as a defensive coordinator, like I don't think people understand like how they try to say like, oh, well, someone who's a great coach. Cause I tried to, I talked, was talking to someone I don't know, it was on Twitter or something like saying like, it's really hard. Like if you fired him after last year, the message that that sends when you go to the coaching convention to try to go convince someone who has zero relation at all to BYU to come to BYU is if you go 21 and four, and push come to shove your scoring defense is pretty good despite what all the other stats say uh that's not good enough we're gonna fire you no one's gonna want to walk into that and some i try to say like oh well we you know it's like great coaches like they don't care they'll be up to the challenge like well it's like they don't know like they don't 
coaches are not like, yes, they're wired differently, but they're still people like they're not going to walk into a situation where like, okay, those expectations seem unrealistic because they view BYU as well, no matter who's there is going to be extremely hamstrung. So if like you have to deal with the honor code crap, you can't, it's hard to recruit there. So even with worse talent, you're still winning, going 21 and four over two seasons and you're complaining about it. Like, no, I'm not going to walk into that. Right. And so it's, I don't know what people expect or want to happen, but back to the drive number. So going, even if you look at the 2014, like peak, go fast, go hard, right. It was uh national average, 13.2 drives a game. We averaged 14.4. And then it was like 2015, 13.2 is the national average BYU 1308, 2016, 13, one, we slowed it down when Detmer got here, 12 and a half, 2017, 12.9. We had 11.8 because we were down a lot in the fourth quarter and the other team was just running the ball and chewing up the clock. Um, then here we have 2018, 12.9 versus 12.5. 2019, 12.6, 12.5. 2020, 12.4, 11.2. And then 2021, 12.2, and then 11.3. Like you're talking about one possession a game difference. Like it's, which yes, and you look at a game and say we lost by one score and you could say, oh, well, we lost by one score. And so if we had one more possession, we could have, we would have won that game maybe, but then you would have also had to get one more stop and you don't know what would happen. Like maybe the flow of the game, you could think, oh, the defense is playing well. We could have taken that risk and kind of pushed the pedal to the metal a little bit more and tried to do it. Yes. There's some time for that, but then also it's like, okay, well, if the defense gives up a field goal and now you're down by nine points, like what does good does that do? Right. And so there's, it cuts both ways. Um, but that was, I think he had the best interview because he, he did talk like the most, like it wasn't fluff, right? Like he talked very specific things. And I like, cause I've hated for a long time that people treat and act like he's stupid and he doesn't know what he's doing and that he's like making it up as he goes. And he's like, has no idea what's going on and all that. Like, and so I really liked his interview because it got into the nitty gritty of like, there is a rhyme and a reason, even if you don't agree with it, 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 it is keeping points off the board and it's, frustratingly effective um but the getting back into our bread and butter wrapping this up is the from media days the roster was released so there's a bunch of names that were not on the roster some of these most of these i assume will probably never uh show back up again they may come back like as a walk-on some of them were walk-ons some of them you know they may be going through academic issues and so they're trying to get it sorted out in summer school but they're not currently being planned on or whatever so some names going down the list um isaiah heron is defensive back he probably would have been the fifth corner at best maybe sixth this season he was not on the roster brock gunderson uh he was an offensive tackle out of texas he's been in the program he redshirted last year um, went on a mission he redshirted last year and was going to be on the program this year. He was not on the list. Isaac Matua, linebacker from Currents, and on the list. Keanu Saleaponga, uh, he's had academic issues, and he's been on and off kind of the whole time, but it feels like that his BYU chapter of his career is done. Uh, the most surprising one, I think, uh, was that Brooks Miley was not on there, and I, I like Brooks. I thought he was going to do some nice things to the defensive line, but that was a surprising one, and I hope that's that a little feels, back That on. feels clerical to me. I mean, they, yeah. they were they announced Brooks Miley at uh, the basketball game. They put Brooks Miley like front and center at all of their camps a couple of weeks ago. That feels like a either a clerical error, like he just got missed somehow, which would be dumb, but happens, or it feels like some weird thing of 
Uh, he's a return missionary. If they don't officially add him until September, then, you know, something weird, right? I, I can't envision that he's gone, gone, but he wasn't there. So we're going to talk about it. He, he definitely was not there. Um, next, Dylan Rollins, uh, offensive lineman out of Montana, was not there. I don't know if that means goodbye or if that means Godspeed, like he's getting ready to go on a mission. Uh, but that's he, he wasn't there. That's what we're talking about. There's guys who were not there. Seth Willis, probably goodbye. He's not there. Alex Muti and his boar, also not there. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, Alex Muti won the hearts of all of us when he tweeted out a picture of him in the wilderness of Hawaii carrying a dead boar over his shoulders like Rambo. Gonna miss Alex Muti. Maybe it's a mission. I don't know, but he's not there. Ben Tui Pelotu, not there, already home from a mission, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he is home from a mission. So that one feels like a goodbye. Uh, Jacob Palu, kind of a sad story. He played a couple of plays last year, tore his ACL. I believe it was his second play against yeah. Baylor. He was a walk on, he was a freshman walk on last year, right. and it was a nobody. The defense was so bad against Baylor that they went down the line and said, anyone who wants to even remotely attempt to stop a run, get in there. And he trotted out there two plays later towards ACL. Feel bad he for did him. make the tackle. He did make the tackle. And now Just he's no longer on the At the cost of one career. Yeah, which is bad. Uh, some other notes, good notes, positive notes. Uh, Tate Romney was on the roster. The reason that's newsworthy Return missionary who's going to be on the roster this fall, meaning he's not being pushed ahead to January. I don't know what you expect. This is a big deal. Kalani talks about how most missionaries they found in all of their data and whatever they do, that most missionaries need a full year before they're able to play. Some of them play immediately after they get home, but they are more susceptible to injury. Kalani has said that that really that first year back is all spent on conditioning. So BYU, typically anybody who is not home in time for spring ball gets pushed to the next January. But guys like Tate Romney and Bodie Schoonover, they're going to have options. They're not going to want to gray shirt and sit around and do nothing until January. So it's a big deal to see Tate Romney on the roster, Bodie Schoonover on the roster. Hello to both of them. Who knows if they're going to make any impact because they need that year. Bodie Schoonover is listed at 215. Uh, he went to Africa on his mission. And me, the round mound of podcasting, Jeff Hansen, also went to Africa on his mission. I got down to 130 pounds at one point, folks. Africa, Africa's not, not a football place. So Bodie Schoonover's at 215. So it seems very unlikely that he's going to play. But he is on the roster. Preston Rex, Kyson Hall, both in the same boat. Not that they went to Africa and are 130 pounds, but return missionaries who are on the roster. Uh, Lisala Tai is also on the roster. Not a return missionary. Juco transfer. But there were some question marks, but he's there. That's great. Hello to all of them. Guys like Luve Hilu are not on the roster. They're gray shirting. In fact, I think that he's enrolled in school. He has one class and at some level of like a football class so that he can get in shape. And that he will officially be added to the roster mid-year, play spring ball, be a red shirt, a gray shirt freshman in 2023. Devin Downing is also home, uh, and, and I would assume he's in that same boat. He'll be there in January. Bunch of other guys from that 2020 class: Jake Griffin, Isaiah Tapo. There's a bunch of them. Go look it up. All of those guys, I believe, are still on missions. 
The only other name that I think is really noteworthy is Kate Albright. He was there have been rumors of plenty about his his injury status. Um, it sounds like there was some degree specifics. I have no idea, but some sort of a back injury that he sustained either just before or during his mission, and that has just plagued him since. Uh, I hope he's able to make it back, but back and he, he had some concussions in high school too. Uh, if I got a back problem and I got concussion problems and I haven't played yet in college football, uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and err on the side of caution myself, but we'll see what Kate Albright does. But for now, not on the roster. It, it's really just sucks. Cause it seems like every great pass rusher that we get potentially get in this happens too, right? Like and, it, it, it all started, all, it all man. started with Troy Hines, right? It all started with Troy Hines, but then it was like, you know, we had Kate Albright, Longi Tui Fua, right? Even like Tyler Batty looked great against Houston in 2020 and then has played like 10 times since then, like snap since then it feels like because he's just been so banged up. You know, we have Alden Tofa was, I don't, was he a four-star? He was a or high three-star? High three. High three, bordering four starts like Alden Tofa, career derailed by injuries, right? And it's like, seems like everybody who we get who could be like, oh, yeah, okay, here's the guy that's like going to give us some spark. Logan Fano, great pass rusher, tears his ACL in spring ball, right? It seems like every guy that we could get just gets hurt and it really sucks. But yeah, because Kate Albright, I mean, as he picked us over, it was, if he wasn't us, it was going to be UCLA. Like he had offers from pretty much whole Pac 12. Like he was, he was good. Like he was rated, you know, 24 seven as had him as an 88 overall, which is on the verge of being a four-star, you know, he was one of the top 50 linebackers in the country in their rankings. You know, he, he the dude could ball and just his back wouldn't let him. Yep. And it's a bummer. No question about it. Um, hopefully he could figure it out, but if not best of luck to Cade and your future, endeavors that was really it from media day i mean six hours worth of coverage that was pretty well the gist of the uh the nuggets that really mattered i do have to say uh byu tv does a lot of really good things i i was very impressed we, we talked about the tuiaki interview even kalani like he didn't say anything crazy or that like you're gonna get all this insider information but when he goes on byu sports nation he's fun it's a, it's a much more relaxed Kalani. Jeremy and Spencer do a great job of, of getting personalities to show, which is awesome. BYU TV does a lot of really good things. The 10-year, 12-year look back of independence was not one of those great things. That was maybe the most boring hour of television that has been related to BYU football that I have ever watched. And I watched it all. Just I kept hoping that it would get better. But goodness... That was just not fun. It, yeah, I, Dave McCann, it's, I, he, it seems like things have passed him by and it's time to. There will come a day where recruiting news is like delivered on people's watches with WeChat. And that's how the recruits tweet out their offers. And it's going to pass me by. And some young, spry up-and-comer is going to get the scoops. He is going to be better at it than I am. And he will say, Jeff Hansen 
is no longer suited to cover recruiting. That day will come, and I am prepared that that, that day will eventually happen. And I think that day may have happened with Dave McCann and really the whole guard of the BYU TV world, right? Jeremy and Spencer do their thing. They're outside of it. But the rest of the, you know, Dave and Blaine, they're, they're legends. But I think that the times have passed them by, just like the it's one day we chat watch recruiting news is going to pass me by. We, we need some young blood here. We do. And I, speaking of young blood, this is not related to media. It is related to coaching. We just want to put this out. So there was one, um, Maury Bamba, who was on campus for a visit this week. And he is kind of an interesting story, but, and I actually didn't realize this until, uh, Casey Lundquist over from, uh, the sports illustrated BYU site, uh, posted on our discord that he chatted with Maury. Wait, and... what Garrett sports illustrated is also on the give him hell. Oh, discord? it is the best play is we have vanquished. The foe is on there. KSL is on there. K it's you have me. You, you I have mean, I, me, you are you. We have you're on there. Mitch Harper's on there. Robbie McCombs is on there. Casey Lundquist is on there. There literally is no better place to discuss BYU sports on the internet than our Discord server. Look, whenever, let's take the Deseret News, our lovely friends at the Deseret News, whenever they do an, an article on recruiting, they're interviewing me and or Robbie and or Casey and or Mitch every time. So... If you want the scoop, folks, there's one place you can scoop the scoopers of the Des News, and that is the Give Em Hell Brigham Discord. I interrupted you in a very abrupt manner, and I apologize. Continue, sir. After that brief advertising intermission. Um, so one thing that Casey pointed out is that Tanner Jacobson, as in the player who uh, you know played under Kalani at BYU, mm. was, a, was a graduate assistant under Kalani at BYU has been an assistant at so last couple of years. So he was promoted. He is the head coach at Tyler junior college in Tyler, Texas, which is a also, big deal. He's a young guy. He also and, has a bitch in beard right now. Yeah. And so that is when you're talking about guys that, you know, we love guys that are BYU guys will have a tie to the school, but they go out of the BYU tree, right? Like they go, they go out, forge their own path, do their own thing. And then maybe so, so someday, you know, as a potential, you know, coordinator, position coach, coordinator, even maybe a future head coach someday, there is a young guy to keep an eye on who played for Kalani and maybe will come back one day as a coach in Provo. But and we'll see. But it is really interesting. So the Mori Bamba, he played at a junior college in Florida. And ASA then, Miami, which was yes. once a fairly decent college. But dude, I so I talked with Maury today for a while. Mm -hmm. I had totally forgotten how much the junior college football world was just decimated by COVID. Oh yeah. Like, okay, we lost, you know, games and had to cobble together a BYU schedule full of, you know, misfits and UAB. It was even harder for JCs. JCs, man, like those programs just shut down. Yeah. A lot of programs just shut down. So Maury Bamba plays at ASA Miami his entire career at ASA. His entire career consisted of the 2021 shortened spring season and the 2021 fall season. Yeah, That was his entire JUCO career. 
and then he transfers. So this is what's weird is if you go to, so he's coming and he's signing with whoever he ends up signing with from junior college, from Tyler junior college. And that's because he transferred there to play the 2022 season, but he is a full qualifier. So when you're coming out of a junior college, if you are academically eligible coming out of high school, then you can go to a junior college, play one year, and then go transfer somewhere else. If you were not academically eligible, then you have to complete your associate's degree before you are able to go sign with a four-year program. So he transferred to Tyler Junior College, got on campus, was there in spring ball. Tanner Jacobson sees him in spring ball and is like, dude, this kid can ball reaches out to the BYU staff. There's some buzz, like start sending out tape. Basically Tanner's trying to sell his kid and be like, look, dude, he doesn't need another year at the JC level. He is good enough to play now. He just got stuck in a crappy situation in Miami at this school, whatever, like he can play now. So that's why it's weird that like, if you try to find anything about him related to Tyler junior college, he is not there because he signed with them and enrolled there in January, six months ago with the intent of playing there this fall, but is now after one semester going to be going like playing at an FBS school. Yeah. What he told me today was that his recruitment started to take off as a result of his spring ball performance. Yep. So he has a handful of FCS offers and then Utah state and BYU. Uh, so he's going to play this year. Like we mentioned, he's going to end up going D one this year. Um, but pretty crazy. Like that's how wild the Juco transfer or the Juco circuit has been that this kid's getting noticed as a result of practice. Yeah. If you go, if you go on his huddle, he has tape from spring ball and it's like the quality of tape is better than what ASA Miami, like ASA Miami did nothing for him. Like his tape that they had, it was someone like standing on the sideline. You could not see a damn thing. And I think they just probably used their iPhone and, it was, was yeah, it. he was not going to go. So yeah, they started putting that out and then Tanner started really helping him um, and started, you know, talk, getting that film in front of as many coaches as possible. And the dude can play. He's a great athlete. So it, uh, it things, it seems like he had a great time on his visit this past weekend and should be making a decision here. Cause obviously wherever he decides to go, he's going to want to get there ASAP so he can start getting into the player run practices and be well acclimated before fall camp starts first week of August. Um, I like so, where BYU sits. If I'm going to put in a crystal ball in, in prediction, and I'm not, but if I were confidence level one to 10, I'd probably say a four uh, that he ends up at BYU. That's, that's about where I'm at. Yeah. Um, in other news, I got a GoPro speaking of cameras. I don't know if we were, we were talking about we, their ASA yeah. is what we were talking about. Uh, and one of the first use cases that I have, I got it for my Jeep stuff. Cause it's kind of fun. But one of the other non-Jeep use cases, uh, Skyridge plays Fremont. That's up here by me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take the GoPro. Got my big, long stick, like the big, you know, selfie stick. So I'm going to look like a, uh, how do you say this without being racist? But I'm going to look like a certain demographic of tourist at really any given national park. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to take that. And uh, I'm going to get some, you know, Smith Snowden, some Stanley Ross, some Tausilia Cotta footage with my GoPro and my big giant long camera selfie stick thing. Kind of excited about it. Yeah. So I'm, so I'm excited to see your film. 
it will, the be, ins- it will be interesting. It might it's, not work at all. But I mean, it feels it like will. we're only you're only like six weeks away because Utah high school football starts like absurdly early, like the August tenth or something. Well, it gets cold, man, for those high school kids. So, like the the usually the state championship is sometime in mid November, and it's freezing. And so I get why they have to move that schedule up because yeah. while it isn't every team, you don't want high school kids playing football in December in Utah. It's like brutal. Why not? YOLO. Ugh, too freaking cold. You don't want high school football media guys covering football in Utah in December. There we, okay. It, it's, you can make it about you. That's fine. Uh, uh, it's always about me. So, Jeff, this has been a great episode. Uh, the media day is recapped. and the if you didn't watch any of media day i think you got all the important parts here and most importantly you got the list of names that you need to pay attention to which is push come to shove what wins you ball games so it we covered the media day we covered zaxby and i think it is a good i can't believe it's this has felt like such a long off season but here we are next time we record it's going to be probably be july 1st so what a wild ride. And wild we, ride. when we're July, that means we are four weeks away from fall camp starting, which means we start getting news every day, picking up. And I think it's like 70 days from tomorrow is the, uh, is 70 days from tomorrow. It's like 10 weeks from Saturday or whatever is, is the home opener or not we the can, home opener, the season we can opener do this. in Tampa against USF. So we are on the home stretch. The, the of hardest this part of the off season is from the 4th of July, right? Because up until the 4th of July, it's like, oh, football's still there, but you're still looking forward to the 4th of July. After the 4th of July is over, there is really nothing in between us and football season but yeah. time. Time's the only thing. So we're almost there. We're almost past all the checkpoints. Like if you're playing the Cruise in the USA game at the arcade at the movie theater before you go in, rest in peace to those arcades. You're playing Cruise in the USA. We are about to hit that last checkpoint. And all we have to do is make it to the finish line so that we can finish in first place before the timer runs out and we have to put more quarters in. And and every no matter, I swear those things were rigged. They did not count down because it didn't matter what you did. You always if you were gonna cross that line, you did it with two seconds left. Yeah. Yeah. You could have had five minutes of time, but then to go like what should be 30 seconds, somehow that clock's going to be two seconds. It was absolutely a scam, but we're going to make it, we're going to make it. And we're not going to need more quarters except for the quarters that whoever wants to donate to the Jeff Garrett needs some headphones collection. We will take those quarters to get us through the checkpoints. The this analogy got away from me. It got away from you, but a, a funny TikTok account that, uh, I encourage you all to go look at that. Your Jeff and Garrett need uh, quarters for headphones collection fund. Reminded me of there's a TikTok account that is this guy who talk who like he just stitches things. It's funny things, but the the account is Latinos against spooky shit. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen that, mm-hmm. but he he just goes through funny things. And he's and he's just like no, and he like does like jump like exorcisms, and it's it's very funny. But his uh his everything he does is like speaking on behalf of the representative group of. Latinos against spooky shit I would like to, is how he leads into everything, but it reminded me of that. So if you are in the mood for some funny TikTok content, go check his channel out. And Jeff, until we record next week in the month of July, give him hell. Give him hell.